I'm Katie Bennett-Stenton, a senior B2B marketer with 20 years experience across the UK, United States and Asia Pacific. Last year I was fortunate to spend three months with Deloitte in Chicago. During that time I was really delighted to have the opportunity to spend time with a number of global experts. Throughout that period I, I interviewed a range of leaders and shared their thought-provoking, relevant and influential takeaways weekly. Now that I'm back in Melbourne, the Katie Talks conversation with influencers continues. Today I'm talking to Andy Evans who is the CEO of Star of the South. Andy, welcome. Hi Katie, how are you? Really well, thank you. Excited to be having this conversation with you today. I'm very excited that you invited me to speak with you. It's fantastic. Perhaps you could just tell us briefly a little bit about um, the work that you do currently and a little bit about your background before we get into some questions. Yeah, look, I'm currently the CEO and co-founder of the Star of the South Wind Farm, which is Australia's first proposed offshore wind farm. We're proposing to develop a site uh, to generate 2,000 megawatts of electricity off the south coast of Gippsland. And for people who are not particularly au fait with, um, with energy, we're hearing a lot more about it, tell us what 2000 megawatts, what, what will that power just for the layperson to understand? It's a lot of power. That's a, enough power for about 18% of Victoria's demand. Awesome. Well, that's a, <laughs> so that's that, a very that's nice, a easy statistic for us to get our heads around. Um, and you've got a really interesting background, with, which is quite varied. Perhaps you could just give us a little little run through. Yeah, look, going back, I suppose my career is about 20 years long. I started as a lawyer here in Melbourne and worked overseas in London for a few years, but always sort of grappled with uh, being a little bit boxed in as a lawyer. So yep. was continually looking for other ventures to get involved in. Uh, like a lot of cliched lawyers at the age of 40, I decided I wanted to be a winemaker. <laughs> so um, yeah, that was ambitious. So I, I took eight weeks off and uh, did vintage at a winery just outside of uh, Melbourne. Uh, did that, that was fantastically interesting work, but you really need another 20 years of experience to perfect that. Yeah, sure. So thankfully I've been working in the renewable energy space uh, for about 10 years at that stage. And uh, my, my two current partners at the moment started to look at some new projects, uh, offshore wind being one of them, mm. which was extremely ambitious 2012 when we started. And I would still say is very ambitious uh, in 2019. But uh, we've really managed to get some traction um, and you know, attract uh, large investment from, from Denmark, from a large infrastructure fund, Copenhagen Infrastructure Partners, and have been progressing the project with a lot of help from the Commonwealth and state governments as well. Mm. So. It's very early, um, but we think there's a lot of future for it in Australia. Oh, it's it's exciting, and I mean, there's so much going on on the on the energy front. Um, a lot of really good stuff with with the 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 push coming from the private sector rather than government. I mean, we could talk about that for hours, couldn't we? Well, we could talk about it for days. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, Andy. How is your life and career improving as a result of being better connected with people across the globe? I think it's essential. I think it's look one of the standouts at the moment in this sort of age of uh, you know electronic media and connections that way. I think being able to connect interpersonally with people, mm. um, it's probably never been more more relevant for progressing with things. I think the great thing I've found is that most people are so accessible to want to connect and talk with you, no matter what their backgrounds, not what it, no matter what their levels of seniority. So you look at the connections you can make 
now. They're no, no longer bound to your local state or area that you live in. No. Uh, in fact, most of my connections now, because the industry I'm in is a lot more developed in other areas, mm. a lot of my key connections and now actually friends are, are based out of Europe and Asia in particular. Uh, and the US is a new sort of growing area for me. So, look, I mean, always encourage, particularly with younger people coming through, they're so savvy at connecting electronically, but a lot of those soft skills of actually speaking to people yes. have diminished. And maybe I'm getting older, but now I'm 45. I mean, more people want to speak to you because you've got you know, different stories. It's no longer about what title you have. Yes. People are actually just really interested to hear from other people. Yeah, yeah, they are. I. Uh during my time in the States last year, connected with a lot of people I'd worked with for, for five or so years. And, you know, I knew their partners' names, I knew their kids' names, I knew their half marathon times, but <laughs> we'd never actually met in person. But, yeah. you know, had these very quite deep relationships. And uh, my my kids, well, actually quite seriously, sort of said to me a few times, Mummy, are you sure it's safe to meet so-and-so, you've only met them online. <laughs> and uh, I guess I was pleased that some of those messages were sinking in. Bit but... of stranger danger. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. But uh, you can just so, so comfortably and readily develop really deep relationships. Yeah, look, and people generally want to catch up. I mm. mean, you'd be the same. You get a lot of emails from people wanting to catch up for a coffee. Yeah. And look, unless you're really time prohibited, look, I love just going out and, and speaking to people, mm. no matter what the age or background. Well, you always, I always learn something. It's always interesting, you know, occasionally can help somebody out or, yeah, mm. it's, yeah, it's great on a whole lot of fronts. So Andy, you've had quite a varied career. What would you say has been the biggest turning point in your career? Look, I think actually turning, turning 40 and trying to be a winemaker, it actually <laughs> got me to stop for, for a while and think about what I really enjoyed. Okay. Um, and you're at a stage where I had a, a young daughter at that time, so I had to really weigh up financial realities, the fact that realistically I'm probably going to be working for another 15 to 20 years, mm -hmm. and really look at what I enjoyed doing. Um, so for me it was, look, there was one afternoon I sat in my office and looked at a wall of books and thought, I can't do this anymore. So I went and sat in the park for about two hours, um, felt guilty for about 30 minutes, but then felt great for the next 90 minutes thinking, okay, mm -hmm. things need to change. Um, so it was a bit of an internal well up of wanting to try different things. I really struggle to sit still, um, even at the moment. So for okay. me, I sort of got to that stage where I had a burning bundle of energy, but it was just being misplaced. Mm -hmm. So I had to stop for a little while to reorient, and it took me about three or four years. So, um, but it's sort of gradually going the right way. I really like your openness and I'm not sure quite that humility is exactly the right word, but it's close enough to, to talk about that because I think a lot of people can, you know, having spent a lot of time getting themselves educated and, you know, law degree takes a while to sort of to be going down one path and then to sort of sit back and, and, and reassess is, is not something that every body who is not happy in what they're doing um, has the guts to, to sit and do. What, were there yeah. particular lessons you took? Yeah, look, I that? think it was realistically not to worry about the external perceptions of, of what you're doing okay. and what you think people think about you. Mm -hmm. Most people generally do want you to be happy. Yes. Um, and I think they quite like that people are doing different things because, look, it gets written about a lot. I think, you know, vulnerability is a real connector with people because yeah. everybody else has got vulnerabilities. Mm -hmm. So to actually see someone else a bit vulnerable, look, in a way makes people feel better about their own vulnerabilities, but sure. allows a reason for people to connect mm. and work out some of their own 
say issues or some of their own uncertainties and then mm-hmm. and then look at doing things if you'd had your time again would you have approached it differently or, or are you sort of looking back and reflecting happy with the way you you navigated through it yeah look I would have taken action earlier that's probably the key okay. thing for me that was at about the age of what was I, 40 so at about 35 I was always really clear that look being a lawyer didn't work for me mm-hmm. but we all have this um, internal view of how we should be perceived. Yeah. You know, I'd sort of come from a background, I was a good sportsman, had done well in law, um, things looked pretty laid out for me. And mm-hmm. you sort of carry around those things. I probably did for about five years okay. where I knew that this wasn't the path I wanted to go down. So by delaying it for five years, I probably took another two or three years to then reorient. So um, you'd always like to say I wouldn't change things because um, you can't, but yeah. look, I probably would have been more alert. Mm to wanting to reorient a little bit more and be a little bit more investigatory about other things I want to do. Sure. Well, but it sounds like you're, um, you're continuing some of that eagerness to look, look more broadly at what you're doing now. Yeah. No, you do. I'm just forever restless, so. <laughs> I like it. Andy, is there one thing that you would change about the business environment of today? Um, oh, there's probably a number of things. Um, I'd probably just get people talking a hell of a lot more. Okay. Um, I find in the area that I'm in, particularly working with, with governments, there's a lot of shutdown. There's a lot of us and them, mm-hmm. generally. Okay. I think maybe I'm a real optimist and the business that we've done, we've had to knock on every single door. So I think myself and my partners generally see things as opportunities, whereas I think a lot of people in business automatically see things as threats or risks. Mm-hmm. I think we've just got to break that down a little bit more. Um, and look, you can start with you know your own group by or wherever you work by talking a lot more, not only yeah. internally but externally. Just find out what people are doing. There are mm. just so many assumptions made by people without actually getting to talk to people. And I find, particularly with a lot of you know our younger staff members coming through, um, there's a lot of desktop assumptions. And I'm like, how do you make? How do you know that? Oh, well, I assume they're doing that. It's like, get out and speak to people. Yeah. So I think look, business. I don't know whether it's government-driven uh, in Australia, which has had a, probably a lack of certainty and optimism for a number of years, but mm. I just don't think business approaches things optimistically. Um, you can be foolish and over-trusting, but I think you've got to start from a, a point of wanting to do things together rather than looking at things as threats. I like the term desktop assumption. I, I've heard of desktop research. I haven't heard <laughs> of that before. I mean, I don't, I don't like the what it, what it describes, but I think it's I think it's quite apt. Yeah, look, I think a lot of people assume things and then shut down opportunities mm. without actually speaking to people and understanding. Yeah, yeah. Things. Well, I mean, on that front, that makes me think about my decision last year or so, what are we talking now, 18 months ago, that I really wanted to spend this time in the States last year mm. to get my kids' US citizenship finalised. and. I, you know, having devised the plan on, on New Year's Eve, came, came into the office fresh uh, in January and, and in the first conversation, I, at the end of the first conversation with my manager, I said, look, I've had this thought. I, I'm really confident I can make it work. You know, can we can we talk about this? And, you know, he was fantastic and said, yep, we can, mm. I, you know, you, you've got my support. I think it'd be a great opportunity. Um, and what I learned from that was to take a completely unconstrained view as to what would make me happy 
or what what mm. would be really purposeful and meaningful and from there yes there were shed loads of obstacles you mm. know putting kids into school in a different country you know there was a hell of a lot I had to work through plus the 35 page form for each of their citizenships which took a while yeah. but got through it all and that was just you know it was just a means to an end and I had a lot of people say to me oh, I can't believe you did that on your own and mm. You know, it must have been so difficult. There must have been so much to organise. And there was, but because I'd taken this unconstrained view as this, you know, this would just be something fabulous. I just sort of started making lists and, and slowly ticked things off. And that's been a real learning for me. Yeah, because look, there'd be a lot of people who just wouldn't ask that question in yeah. the workplace whether they can do things. Yep. And if you don't ask, I mean, you'll never know. Well, exactly. Uh, and, you know, I, I like to be a bit audacious. It's, it's interesting... Mm on both the professional and personal front, you know, professional in terms of pushing boundaries and doing new things. And, you know, over my five and a half years at Deloitte, I've been really fortunate to work with partners who, who've had great appetite mm. uh, to to go with that. And that's that's when the really magical, interesting stuff happens. Yeah. So do you see a future for yourself at some stage in the States longer term? Probably after kids have finished school. Yeah, I'd like to uh, like to head back there um, to be near family. I also think a year or two working in New York would be is something awesome. I need to do. Yeah, yeah, it's close to family in Chicago, but yeah. it's just such a phenomenal city. Yeah, yeah, New York is is fantastic. Yeah, I'm not I'm not convinced I could live there forever, but I think a year or two probably needs to happen at yeah. some point. Yeah, absolutely. Andy, what might people not know about you? Oh, I'd say a lot of people wouldn't know me anyway, but uh, look, look, I probably, from afar, I look like the, the standard stereotypical uh, Australian look, private <laughs> school educated person who played football and did law school, but um, look, I've probably got more of a thirst for, for, for trying new things than people may expect. Mm -hmm. um, Travel's not necessarily a new thing, but winemaking is still something I'm really interested uh, in doing. It's incredibly out of your comfort zone. Um, I'd like to think I've got pretty broad views, but that for me was a real exposure to how exposed you can be. Mm -hmm. um, look, I created a wine label and then presented it to about 100 different people and people are actually look at you thinking, I don't know if I like that label. <laughs> I've had a few people, I made this beautiful Cabernet Franc. It was carbonic, macerated, fantastic, but it had a little spritz. Mm. So then I had a lot of people having got me about my red wine being spritzy. Um, so what I'm sort of learning is that I've probably got a greater desire to do different things. I mean, certainly what I'm doing now, uh, trying to develop an offshore wind farm is a little bit moronic. I may have thought a few years ago, but it's sort of given me a bit of a taste to want to try mm. different things. Um, so look, there, there are a number of things I, I don't think I even know about myself at the moment. So I'm only 45, very young, but um, look, there are other little things. If I was writing this down in a magazine, look, I really like French films, <laughs> uh, which none of my friends really like. So I'm often uh, sitting by myself, that sort of very sad looking middle-aged white single male in a cinema, uh, not quite Lee Harvey Oswald, but uh, you know, oh, it's- well, in, okay, good. Yeah, no. <laughs> so, so, so that's a, look, a newer thing, developing a bit more of the artistic or creative, or I hate to use the word cultured side, but yeah. that's probably a, uh, I think on first glance, the people meeting me wouldn't probably expect. No, oh, interesting. Would you say that you learn more from success or failure? Oh, look, more from failure. Look, it sounds cliched saying mm. that, but you do because look, when, when you fail, you've got more reason to sort of assess things. I'm usually really good at moving on pretty quickly. Okay. But you know, it's 
like the whole sort of hot oven, you sort of touch it, you learn, okay, I don't do that again. Yeah. I think from failure, you do, you just, you do assess things and you've got an inbuilt mechanism that says, okay, I won't go down that path this time, I won't do that. With, with success, it's fantastic because at least it sets the path of knowing what works. Mm. Um, but of course, if you continue doing the same thing, you may be successful, but probably in, within realms that might broaden your experiences or potential to look sure. at new ways of doing things. Um, do you, are you good at when you have failure or things don't go according to plan, are you good at dissecting them a little bit before you move on? I'm developing it. Okay. I'm developing it. Um, just I think in the new areas that I'm in now, it's all new to me anyway. So yeah. what is success and what is failure? I'm still trying to work out what that is at the moment. Uh, looking at our offshore wind business, look, we've had four years or five years of working with government. So some of the lonely nights you have at airports, I would look at as, geez, that was a real failure, but it was a real learning that that's actually success because I had the invite to go back a sure. week or two later and no one shut the door. Mm -hmm. But it took me about three years to realise there were some really pivotal moments, yeah. which I thought may have been failures, but were a critical part of, the, of, of attaining success. It's, it's, well, it's, and that goes back to that earlier conversation we were having around um, having lots of different conversations with people and, and that never being a wasted opportunity, you know, yeah. that it's always constructive. Would you say that we talked a bit about your your pivot away from um, being a lawyer? So, you know, as a reformed lawyer, would you say there are any significant challenges that you've navigated in your career that you've drawn particular strength from? Um, look, I've had strength. Probably my first 10 years of my career was marked by I couldn't get past the magical 23 month mark. I had three <laughs> jobs in a row which were 22 or 23 months. Okay. Uh, finally got to my fourth job, I, I hit the 24 month mark and it was sort of a nice little personal achievement but it also sort of suggested to me that uh, how I like to operate is based on a lot of change. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people aren't great with change and particularly being a lawyer, you're not good with change. Mm. You, you're good in Look, thinking through things logically, and logic is about being committed to something, working out the evidence for, against, and making mm -hmm. a decision on it. Mm. Um, and I think a lot of the external perceptions is, or are, if you're a lawyer, that you're measured, you're committed to something, and you keep going. But mm -hmm. it took me a number of years to sort of realise that adapting to change and my need for change was probably my strength. It's really helped me out in, in current business now, uh, wanting to look at new things but also try different things. So when one chapter ends, I'm never that confronted by having to change or do new things. Uh -huh. So it took quite a while to sort of do that. And I don't think, as a lawyer, I don't think you're thoroughly ever fully reformed. And I think the thing that sort of disgruntles me is that people still, I look over and practice in about three years, but people still refer to you as a lawyer. So every time you have a bad trait, whether it be at home or at work, you're so argumentative, you're such a lawyer. And it's like, no, I'm just really, uh, hot-headed at times, oh, yeah, and okay. I fundamentally disagree with what you're saying. <laughs> that's, that's just an anti-trait, not I'm a loyal sure trait. Goes, I'm sure that goes over a trait. Yeah, it, it does. It's, you're really well respected. <laughs> All right, I'll be sure to throw that into some conversation a little bit more, Andy. Mm. What does Nirvana in your career look like? We've talked about this a little bit already. Absolute unaccountability for me. The ability oh. to come and go as you please. Okay. That's Nirvana for me. Okay. Uh, I sort of find it Particularly, look, I like working in teams, but uh, when I'm in teams, look, I'm a good team member, but I particularly like individuals in the group to have their own freedoms as well. Yeah. I seek not to, look, you've always got to be accountable and you've always got to, 
you know, show that you, you're providing value. Mm -hmm. um, so it's never about that, but I like the ability to come and go as and when you please. Sure. I don't sit still in an office very well. Mm -hmm. I usually, with all new staff, have to make them aware that I'm not always here. Yeah. Um, I'm always available, but I'm not always physically there. So I like doing my own things. And I think I found recently that's more about, you know, the, the creativity um, perspective. I just feel a lot more creative out and about with, with different people sure. and in different environments. Changing tack slightly, what's your favourite song and why? Uh, look, there's there's a few. Look, Love Will Tear Us Apart by Joy Division is always mm. one of my favourites, just yeah. because I loved the song for so long and then when Control, the film was released 2007, I think it was, you actually went through the depth of what the song meant and mm. it was actually about depression and some really deep things, but it sort of showed that, you know, there can be messages, but they can have different sort of personal outcomes. For me, that's always a, a radiant song just yeah. because, you know, the music's incredible. But yeah. then you learn the background, there's a bit more depth to it and it sort of teaches you a bit more about freedom of expression. Uh, look, there are other songs, for some reason, I'm a massive Beatles fan, but uh, my favourite song is I Should Have Known Better, which is off A Hard Day's Night. <laughs> If you watch the film, they're in the train with the harmonica and it just sort of resembled a time of joy. And it was about mm. my early discovery of the Beatles was when I was about 16 or 17. And everyone, you get into the first few albums, Please Please Me, yeah. um, with the Beatles and so on. So it sort of, that song encapsulated me learning more about something which has become a lifelong passion. So I always go back to that, that song. It's not the greatest song, mm. but for me, it's always one of my favourites. Well, and I think so much about music is what you were doing when you first heard it, you know, which is why a lot, I remember reading a great article about people particularly being wed often to songs that were um, when you or but you know, on the radio when they were at high school, because, you know, there's a fair bit of nostalgia yeah. looking back at those times, you know, you were mm. young, anything was possible. You had your whole life ahead of you. I, yeah. Yeah. I, I think that, that's as important or as as significant as whether or not it's the greatest piece of music, even by any mm. one particular artist. Andy, if you could invite three guests to dinner, living or not, who would they be? Oh, look, that's always a challenging one. Look, I really love Ricky Gervais. I don't know if he'd be <laughs> the greatest uh, dinner party guest, depending on who the other people are. Yeah. But look, I, I just love Ricky Gervais. Um, he's incredible. Oh, look, John Lennon was someone mm -hmm. going off the Beatles sort of background. Yep. Someone that I've always um, just loved just because he was his own person. Mm. I think if you are a little bit of an outspoken person like I tend to be, you sort of look to him because he was not only outspoken about his own views that impacted his world, mm. he seemed to have really clear thoughts on the broader world, yes. all this peace movement and the yep. like, yep. Um, which was really... Look, well ahead of his time, but it was very different. I mean, most of the people that were speaking up in uh, that regard were usually political leaders, and mm. not so much musicians who had some real depth and clarity about what they were talking about. Mm -hmm. So he was always an extremely interesting character. Um, and at the same time, for some reason, I've got a bit of a fascination with Yoko as well. I wouldn't mind if she was <laughs> yeah. there as, a, okay. as, as well. Yoko as well. I don't know if we'd work really well together as a quartet, Ricky Gervais, John Lennon and Yoko. But, uh, oh, but they're, they're there's some fascination and look. Some good characters there. Yeah, look, and I don't mean to be discriminatory to Australians or Americans, but I've probably, through music and um, entertainment, more played to the British side of things. So a lot mm -hmm. of my sort of influences, whether it be Joy Division, the Beatles or the like, yeah. a lot more 
British focused. Sure. Yeah, Apologies okay. to any American listeners. <laughs> what would you say is the best piece of business advice you've ever been given, Andy? I've got, uh, look, it was actually from a very good friend's dad. And um, look, my, look, my father passed away 26 years ago. So it wasn't so much business advice, but it was soon after he passed away. He just said, remember, Andy, the good times never last. But at the same time, the bad times never last. Mm, okay. So I think it's been more that focus that whenever you're feeling down, you know the wheel's going to turn. Yes. Um, whether it's business or personal. So that, that has always stuck with me because, it, it, look, it came at a critical time where anything else could have been said. Sure. Um, like, you know, bad luck, you know, sympathies yeah, or whatever. Yeah. But it was just a, a really poignant, uh, you know, phrase from someone who I really respect and always had from the start. So... Yeah, so that sort of always rings true, and you do—you mm. always bring it up every year or two. Yeah. When you're just like, oh, seriously. Mm. Mm. Um, so it does, because look, I, I am one <laughs> that if I do get uh, annoyed, I like to close the room and swear a, a fair bit, and internally. I can relate to that. Generally, at other people. <laughs> um, so that sort of allows me to stop and. Uh huh. Yeah. Put things in perspective. I think that's an awesome piece of advice. It's also making me a bit teary thinking about um, the way mm. in which that was delivered, but. It's good. Mm. Andy, as we come to a close, is there any other career advice that you'd like to share with listeners? Look, without being cliched, you know, the two words that I sort of come back to, and I was speaking to students the other week at Melbourne Uni, it's all about, and it sounds cliched, it's just about being authentic, being, being mm. who you are. Because uh, you do get to a stage, I think generally post 40, where a lot of the time you really couldn't give a stuff what people think. Um, but you've got to be happy with yourself because mm. a lot of the time, a lot of other people don't really give a stuff either. Yeah. So it's about being authentic and, and look, look, it gets used a lot, but, but about vulnerability. Um, people actually bond with you if you do show that things are um, not always rosy. Mm. It doesn't mean that you make stuff up, but look, I, today it's, it's been fantastic talking because I don't feel like I've got to uh, put up any guards as to a message that you're trying to convey. And sure. I think the more you do that, yeah. you just speak more naturally. And people, oh, look, I found recently a few presentations, people have been really complimentary and saying, wow, that was great. You really speak from your heart. Mm -hmm. And it was like, well, yeah, well, I was. Mm. And I said, well, that was a really well-prepared speech. And I found now I generally don't prepare speeches as much okay. so that you can get a feel for the room and the people you're speaking sure. to. Sure, there are certain messages you've got to get through, particularly... Mm. Um, if you are there, whether it's media or you're presenting something where you've got um, direct points to get across. But yeah. I think that vulnerability, and maybe that's the wrong word, but you know, mm. just, just being honest to, to who you are and about the ups and downs, I think most people really connect with. Mm. I, I would agree with that. And I, I feel that, so I'm a little bit younger than you, but only a couple of years. You look much, much younger. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, well, that's what we're doing podcasts, <laughs> not video. Um, but I, that, that really resonates with me. And I have often reflected on whether it's that I'm getting older, that I have more career experience, you know, more self-confidence, and perhaps it's a combination of all of them. But I find the more authentic that I am, the 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 better relationships and the deeper relationships that um, that I develop or or cultivate, and and also the more fun I have at work because mm. you know what excites me is doing new, untested, uncharted stuff, and you know that varies depending on what kind of area I'm focusing on. But when I've taken the time to sit down and just 
so you know say there's a there's a real problem or I have a real problem with X mm. thinking really creatively about how said problem can be solved uh, has you know has provided a huge amount of fun for me at right. work and, and a huge amount of value and ultimately phenomenal relationships with people around me because they can see my absolute passion and, and gusto and just how driven I am by doing new Unbent, uncharted stuff. That's very good English. But, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, but that's you know that's that's when I am absolutely at my best, and that's you know that can only but make for strengthening relationships with people. Yeah. And how have you found the corporate world has responded to that? Because look, you're a successful young businesswoman, mother, the like, who mm. uh, and knowing you a bit, you do have your own gusto. Yeah. Um, in in large corporates, how have you found? people in terms of being receptive. I mean, the obvious answer is they should be hugely receptive, <laughs> but when there are a lot of white middle-aged males like myself about there, they're not always as open. Mm, on the whole, incredibly receptive. Uh, upon occasion, I think my energy levels can probably be perceived as, or some people might find it a bit overwhelming at times. So I I think having worked in the corporate world for a long time, I'm a bit good at being a chameleon and, and mm. flexing to different styles, you know. Uh, in my in my true form I am fairly loud. I am an extrovert. I am very high energy, but depend you know, I, I work hard to to some extent to mirror who I am in a room with. Mm. So, you know, sometimes that's me at full energy, but with other people in other situations are much more calm, composed. I mean, I'd like mm. to say I'm always composed, but you know, yeah. a, a calmer, perhaps more serious, less energetic person is, is what's appropriate. So I think I've developed some good uh, skills at, at flexing that yeah. accordingly on the whole. It's hard when you're high energy. It's usually a very good thing. It is. It is. But it is hard to sit still and it's hard for others to... Uh, yes. And hard for yourself at times to fit within yeah. different circumstances. And you do. You have to be very chameleon-like. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I My uh, previous role, um, I worked with a firm of patent attorneys and people who all had PhDs in science and then a Masters of Intellectual Property. So brilliant, brilliant academics. Um, but they they certainly had less energy than I did and I, I really needed to just, you know, tamp down my energy levels mm. because once or twice I just sort of thought, yeah, I'm uh, this is, you know, <laughs> me at full energy yeah. is, is not the way to get the best out of this working relationship. So, yeah, yeah need, to, need to mix it up a bit. Well, Andy, thanks so much for the conversation. I've really enjoyed it today. I think I've really appreciated your honesty and vulnerability in, in sharing some of, some of your um, life lessons. And, and I know that readers, uh, readers, listeners will enjoy that too. Great. Thanks, Katie. Thanks for the invite. It's been fantastic talking. It's been good fun. Thank you. And thanks for listening to the Katie Talks podcast with me, Katie Bennett-Stenton. If you enjoyed this episode, please review me on iTunes to help others find this awesome content. I have some great thought leaders coming up in the series. Subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode. And I love feedback from listeners. You can find me at Katie B Marketing on Twitter or Katie Bennett-Stenton on LinkedIn.